This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Welcome to the Collector Car Podcast. Today I'm going to review the market trends of Fox Body Mustangs, see which ones have appreciated the most in the last three years thanks to Haggerty's Price Guide, review the Dennis Collins collection that sold in 2017 and 2018, and see if it was a better investment than putting your money into the stock market. And I will recommend which ones you should buy now, if any. Actually, there's a few. So if you're more of a visual person, be sure to check out this podcast on our YouTube channel where you will see all of the charts, graphs, pictures, and data I talk about during this Fox Body Mustang market moment. First off, I'd like to thank Sports Car Market for providing a Platinum Database subscription. So this gives me even more data to dig into, which you will see momentarily. It's always good to have more data. I'll have our first ad for the podcast in Sports Car Market's December issue, so be sure to keep an eye out for it. And if you're watching online right now, this is what it looks like. As always, you can see all of the cool car places I visit while traveling across the U.S., on Instagram at the Collector Car Podcast. And be sure to check out the stories. I'm using that functionality a little bit more. So you can post a little video or pictures uh, that last 15 seconds to one minute. And they only last uh, 24 hours. Then it's gone. So as I do like cool stuff like barn finds or some cool cars I'm stumbling across, I will be sure to use that functionality. A transcript of this episode will be posted as a blog on the website, thecollectorcarpodcast.com, with all of the hyperlinks activated so you can explore and visit the websites and articles I mentioned. Now, this might take me a couple days because that's a lot of work, but please stay tuned. So now onto some cool cars. So as most of you know, I have a love for all things Mustang. You can see my Taproot car, which means the car that started my passion for cars in general, by watching the Simpler Times video on Petrolicious. That featured my 1966 Mustang, which I sold just a little bit over a year ago, and replaced it with the opposite of a Mustang, a 1996-996-911. So that Mustang was awesome. It was it was a four-speed convertible, deluxe interior, factory, A-code, four-barrel car with limited slip differential. I was the fourth owner from new. That was a wonderful, great car that's now up in the Connecticut area. My taproot car is the 1966 fake GT convertible. You can see in one of the pictures in the video and next to it, actually below it, is a picture of me with my first car, a 1968 Mustang Coupe. So the fake 66 GT, you can tell it's fake because it still had the side ornamentation, even though it had the GT stripes and the GT logo, which it should not have had. It didn't have the dual trumpet exhaust or the fog lights, and I didn't know anything about Mustangs back then. I just knew it was the prettiest car I had ever seen. The 1968 Mustang Coupe was one I bought through my cousin, $1,000. I didn't realize it at the time, but it didn't have an engine. And a red, red interior, three-speed, straight six, with uh, no other options available. So about as basic as you can get. Now, while I was falling in love with the first generation of Mustangs, two buddies of mine in high school received new GTs when they graduated in 1989. Brett and Jason. I hate those guys. No, actually, they're great guys. Uh, let's see, Jason got a white GT and Brett got a black one. Now, as far as I know, Brett still has his, the last I heard. Now, the first Mustang I actually ever drove was the first Mustang and the first 5.0 Mustang I ever drove, and that was a 1986 Fox Body Mustang GT. This is my Taproot Fox Body Mustang. It was during college at Florida State. Ken Rinaldi was a resident assistant at Cash Hall, 
in Tallahassee, Florida, and he owned it, and he let me drive it around the parking lot and in the underground garage, and uh, it had the stock exhaust, but it sounded much more menacing than it really was in the uh, underground garage, and I loved it. I don't recall ever driving it again, but it made quite a big first impression. Now, Fox Body Mustangs have two distinct subclasses, the 1979 to 1986 quad headlight cars and the 1987 to 1993 square headlight cars, also known as single headlight cars. Uh, there's a few other differences to mention as well. So the quad headlight cars, the 1979 to 1986, uh, were all carbureted cars except for in 1986 when it transitioned to fuel injection. They were powered by a variety of turbo fours, six cylinders, and eight cylinder engines, and the power was pretty low on all of those. These cars generally are more difficult to restore as there's not a strong aftermarket parts supplier for these particular cars, and Ford continued to change things. They didn't quite know what they wanted to do, so every year was like a little bit different. There wasn't a lot of consistency. So the square or single headlight cars, the 1987 to 93 cars, had less variation over the years, and improvements were focused around increasing the horsepower of the 5-liter V8. These were hot rodded like crazy, and it's difficult to find an unrestored original one today. Although as we speak, there is a 1993 5,000-mile GT coupe on Bring a Trailer today. It's already been bidded up to $25,000. For the purposes of this evaluation, I am not going to include Capri's, Roush's, McLaren's, not McLaren's, McLaren's, not the supercar, but the souped up uh, Mustangs, SSPs, or other non-factory cars with the exception of the Saline Mustangs. Now, why the Saline Mustangs? Because enough of them have been sold that we have a decent baseline for study and they have been trending pretty hot. They're pretty strong along the lines of the Cobra and the Cobra R. Fox Body Mustangs are finally getting their due in the marketplace. Recent and very visible results include the collection of Dennis Collins, who's a frequent guest on Fast and Loud, that were recently sold off at two different auctions, as I mentioned earlier. So he auctioned off five Fox Body cars in 2017, which averaged about a little bit over $50,000 each which was massive, and 18 cars in 2018, which averaged just under $30,000 each. So these results were record-breaking and made national headlines at the time. The one that really made national headlines was the 7-Up convertible that sold for over $80,000. I believe it was $80,000, I'm sorry, $82,900. Now, the 2000 collection, you can see it here. A lot of cars, a lot of cool cars and what they sold for. Then you can also see the 2017 collection. A couple other highlights. There was a 1985 Mustang SVO with only 7 miles sold for almost $64,000. 1992 Mustang GT convertible sold for $44,000. So most of them are low mile cars. It looks like the highest mile car is 6,000 miles on a 1984 Mustang GT. So I will review these more in depth in a moment. It may look like these have sold for a lot of money, and they did, but I'm going to dive into the numbers and see which one was really a good investment, if any of them. To do this, I want to look at the market as a whole first. So my data, as I mentioned before, is from Sports Car Market's Platinum Database. And for the entire run of Fox Bodies, the average price by auction year went up 261%, which sounds really amazing. However, the first year of record was 1993, and the average price was under $5,000. So we really don't have any records prior to that that would capture cars selling let's say a 1989, like a 1982 Cobra selling in 1989. Now by 2019, the average price 
went from $5,000 to $18,000. So it was a small base to begin with. And there are a lot of factors into this, including a lot more cars were coming to auction, inflation in general, and the growth of the auction industry. So a lot more cars were coming out because they have a lot more auctions in which to be sold at. And they're bringing more money because the price point of these cars kept on creeping up every year, as we all know. If you break out the 1979 to 86 quad cars, you see where most of the growth is coming from. The average went from less than $4,000 to around $14,000, which represented about a 242% increase. For the later cars, the growth is only 40%. This is the 1987 to 1993 models, but that's against a much higher auction result price of $13,000, which ended around $18,000 in 2019. That means they depreciated less after initial purchase, so the gains were not as significant. Now, when we look at the values for particular models, the data gets even more interesting. Over its entire run, the base GT's value has increased from just over $10,000 to around $23,000, which is 110% change. The value of a base GT for quad cars was $16,000, and for the later square Mustangs was $20,000. The Cobras are another story. The quad Cobras average value is $22,000. This would be like the 1982-83 Cobra. For the square Cobras, the later models, it's just over $50,000. So big difference there. And the 1993 Cobra R is a real standout with its value for number one condition being around $95,000. One recently sold in April 2019, Cobra R number 73 with only 580 miles, it sold for $132,000. So that's crazy money. So now we're going to look at what has appreciated in the last three years. I'm going to review these from the lowest to the highest increase in value. For a baseline, I picked my Taproot car, a 1986 GT, which has not done very well. It's only appreciated around 0.6% in the last three years. So I, should, I need to buy this car now. So the 1984 Mustang GT350 grew 4.5%. This is a pretty cool car. I never really appreciated it much in the past, but it has the uh, GT350 side stripe, which harkens back to the 1965 GT350, which this car has nowhere near that power. Uh, they came in convertibles as well. The ones to watch out for are the 2.3 liter turbocharged ones. There was 104 turbo convertibles, and in total, turbo and hatchback, about 350 were made. So that's a really rare car, especially if you get the turbo convertible. The next one is the 1979 Indianapolis Pace car, grew 10.3%. Iconic colors on this car. you got the iconic graphics on the side of the horses running. Kind of cool wheels. They made a lot of these, so they shouldn't go up much more. Uh, over 10,000 of them. The 1986 SVO grew 16.3%. This could be for any of the SVOs, the 84, the 85, or the 86. Turbo four-cylinder, 175 to 205 horsepower, and it came with a lot of other cool stuff. The suspension, limited slip rear end, four-wheel disc brakes, had a cool spoiler on the back. The 1985 GT convertible grew 19.5%. This is the last of the carbureted cars, which is kind of cool. The 1992 5.0 convertible grew 24%. And I put this here for two special edition variants. So they don't have data for the 7-Up Mustang convertible or the summertime Mustang convertible. These were supposed special variants made uh, in limited numbers as a promotional campaign. So the 7-Up was obviously for the 7-Up bottling company. Apparently it was supposed to be a small production number. It's like an emerald green with white interior, white top, white wheels. But they ended up producing over 4,000 of them. And this is the one I mentioned earlier that sold for $82,900. The summertime is actually a rarer car. They only made uh, just under 2,200 of these. And this is red with white interior, white top, and white wheel. Of the two, get the red one. 
be kind of cool if someone had both of them in a collection. So that'd be kind of cool. The next one, uh, Sasailing SC Hatchback grew 24.2%. And then I have to mention along with this one, the Sailing SC Convertible, which grew at 28.7%. So apparently for 1993, there were only five of these made. Some reports saying it was two convertibles, some say three. So I don't know exactly what is true, but these are, in my mind, the best looking sailings ever made uh, from any generation. And so this is a great one to have. Now the Cobras, as I mentioned before, were really strong. The Cobra, base Cobra grew 29.8% and the Cobra R grew 30.5%, which is different. It's a souped up Cobra, has stronger suspension, bigger wheels and tires and brakes, has just a little bit more horsepower. And uh, they, it doesn't have fog lights. Those were taken out so for additional cooling for the engine. So they're really easy to spot. And they had the black wheels with the six spokes and I think those wheels are actually pretty ugly, personally. Uh, but only 170 of these cars were built, and now there's only 106. I had a friend that actually witnessed one of them being totaled on a racetrack. But all those creature comforts that were removed, no AC, saved over 400 pounds. So a few additional ones to watch out for, a few call-outs. Apparently in 1985 and 86, there were 47 SVO Mustangs that were painted sage green, which is a cool color and limited production and 20 of those were made and marketed as Hertz cars. So if you can find one of those sage green SVOs, snap it up. And then the 1980 to 81 Mustang Cobra was kind of cool because I had an optional 2.3 turbo. It didn't make a lot of horsepower. It was, you know, 140 something out of horsepower, but still pretty cool. I had the big Cobra uh, logo on the hood. So now let's talk about Dennis's collection. When you crunch the numbers, the record-breaking prices were a losing proposition. So what do I mean by that? I'm going to preface this by saying I don't know how or when Dennis bought these cars. It looked like his family is a car dealer family, like multi-generational family of car dealers. I'm assuming that they bought them new, probably at an invoice factory price, and just scrolled them away as a future investment, drove them a minimum amount of miles. So that's my assumption. Now, I don't know that for sure. He could have bought them eight years ago or so, or bought them as they came on the market and got a really good deal. So the data I'm about to review compares investing that initial money, the money they took and put into a new Mustang versus putting that money in the stock market. So for example, if you invested $1 in the stock market in 1983, it would be worth $8.74. That was a depression year. So you got a better return that particular year because it was a rough year. So the original list price of a 1983 Mustang GT was $9,328. So instead of buying a new 1983 Mustang and squirreling it away as an investment, hoping to sell it one day for a huge profit, if instead you invested at $9,328 in the stock market in 2019, it would have grown to $81,489.13. So in this example, Dennis's Mustang sold for $33,000, which at the time seemed like a win until you realized that you would have an additional $48,000 if you invested that same amount of money in the stock market. And this doesn't factor in car insurance or the cost to store a car for so many years. So how did Dennis fare? If you look at the whole collection, how did he do? If he bought all of these cars new in the year that they were new, he would have invested over $300,000. After the dust settled from both auctions, he netted out $834,200, not counting auction fees, which we're not going to worry about, and also transportation fees and all that kind of stuff. That means his initial investment had a 168% return, which sounds really awesome, but it's not. If he invested the same amount of money in the stock market, he would have netted out 
over $1.7 million, which would have been a 450% return. The only car that came close to making a better return than the stock market was the record-breaking, unrepeatable 7-Up convertible that I mentioned earlier that sold for $82,900. Even in this example, the stock market would have given you an additional $101.33. How is that for specific? So what's the message here? Don't be a speculator. Buy what you love and drive the heck out of it, which none of these cars were, which is so frustrating. So what would I recommend to buy now? I'd say buy the turbos. As more and more today's cars become turbo-powered, enthusiasts will want the original turbos for their collection. It will be about the technology and not the power. So buy up the SVOs, the 84 GT350s, especially the 104 convertibles, and Cobra Turbos wherever you can find them. And this is not limited to Mustangs, this turbo trend. If you check out the trends on the turbo models of the BMW 2002, Toyota Supra, and Porsche 944, you will see where the Mustang trends will be going. So all of these are really strong, over 30%, and the BMW is well over 40%. That's a cool little car. So the Cobra Rs and sailing SCs will always be worth a lot, so do not expect them to decline. You don't have to worry about waiting for the client to buy them. They're going to continue to appreciate. Even as the current market is declining, as I mentioned on previous podcasts, I think these will hold their value as the generation that loved these cars is aging, getting older, and acquiring more disposable income. They're getting more money to spend on cool cars. They're going to buy them up because there's not that many of them. The prices will not decline. And buy your Taproot Mustang. So I will always be on the lookout for a red 1986 GT. If you have a really immaculate, gorgeous one, shoot me a note. That's all for this week's market trends agree or disagree or need to correct me on an errant fact shoot me a note respond to my blog comment on instagram or dm me directly and i will respond i'm hoping to have a quote-unquote fox body expert to dispute correct add value to this episode in a follow-up episode as always keep your foot on the gas and the tires pointed straight i'll talk to all of you next week Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.